Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. HousingWire Daily examines the most compelling mortgage, real estate, and fintech articles reported from the HousingWire newsroom. Each afternoon, the HW Digital team provides our listeners with a deeper look into the stories that are helping move markets forward. Hosted and produced by Alcina Lloyd and Victoria Wickham. And now, here's our host. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Victoria Wickham, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's Housing Wire Daily features the third episode of Honest Conversations, a mini-series on minority home ownership hosted by Housing Wire Digital Media Manager Alcina Lloyd. In this episode, Lloyd interviews the National Association of Real Estate Brokers President-Elect and Speaker Pro Tem Lydia Pope. In this episode, the pair have an honest conversation on how shifting housing policy has impacted minority homeownership. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Caliber Home Loans is committed to helping customers at all stages of homeownership. Whether you're the first in your family to buy a home or just a first-time homebuyer, our focus is on getting you into the home of your dreams and helping you stay there. Contact Caliber Home Loans if you'd like to learn more. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Honest Conversations, the show that examines the state of minority home ownership in America. I'm your host, Alcina Lloyd, and this is Honest Conversations. My guest is Lydia Pope, the president-elect and speaker pro tem for the National Association of Real Estate Brokers. Lydia is also the owner and president of E&D Realty and Investment, E&D Realty Property Management Division, and E&D Construction Company. Today, we'll have an honest conversation about the impact the housing industry has had on minority home ownership. Lydia, before we dive into today's conversation, can you let us know more about yourself and the National Association of Real Estate Brokers? How'd you get started in the housing finance sector and where does NARAB fit into the journey? Thank you. Thank you again. Um, and thank you so much. I started my, I guess I got my real estate license in 1996. I was a young age. My degree was actually in communications. I was going to school to become a newscaster, not real estate, but a newscaster, totally <laughs> different field. <laughs> mm-hmm. So under, not understanding the real estate market, I bought my first house, my husband and I. And in that housing process, we noticed that the agent didn't direct us into areas that we wanted to be. And he kept diverting us into a different space in a different area. Long and behold, you know, that's when I felt that it was a need for me to go, go ahead and understand the field of real estate. So I got my real estate license in 1996. I joined my first real estate black firm who within that many years, 2014, I took it over. So I've never worked for any other company but a black owned real estate company. And how NARAF fits into this whole window is that when it comes to democracy and housing, that no matter what color you are, you should have an opportunity to live, work, and go wherever you want to go in this country. So my personal experience is how the the, the relationships with NARAF fits just like a puzzle. 
That's amazing. And that's interesting how your story started. A lot of people I'm learning didn't necessarily have a quite a good understanding and that's what drove their uh, interest in the real estate industry in general. So that's very exciting. Lydia, today we're here to discuss how shifting housing policy has impacted minority home ownership. To do so, let's rewind to 2020 when the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development introduced two new rules which replaced policies that had been adopted during the Obama administration. On September 8, 2020, HUD's new Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing rule took effect. The new rule, formally called Preserving Community and Neighborhood Choice, replaces a rule adopted in 2015 that required recipients of certain HUD funding to undertake an assessment of fair housing in their communities. The new rule, which has generated controversy, significantly decreases the fair housing obligations of state and local governments that receive HUD funding and does not require communities to show, quote, meaningful action, end quote, to address segregation and other types of disparities. In response to the rule's implementation, more than 18,000 individuals, organizations, and civil rights and fair housing advocates have expressed concern as they believe it will only weaken enforcement of the AFFH requirement. Notably, HUD's new disparate impact rule, which took effect on October 26, 2020, has also caused a stir. According to the agency, the new rule, which replaces HUD's 2013 disparate impact rule, is intended to, quote, better reflect the Supreme Court's 2015 judgment on the Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs versus Inclusive Communities Project ruling. The new rule revises the burden-shifting test for determining whether a given practice has an unjustified discriminatory effect and adds to illustrations of discriminatory housing practices found in HUD's Fair Housing Act regulations. The final rule also establishes a new standard for determining when a housing policy or practice with a discriminatory effect violates the Fair Housing Act. Currently, there are three federal lawsuits challenging the disparate impact final rule. Lydia, when HUD announced the Trump administration would alter these rules, it caused an upheaval in the industry as many questioned if it would lead to more housing discrimination. This was only heightened when former President Donald Trump declared he had rescinded the Obama-Biden AFFH rule, announcing in a series of tweets he was happy to inform all the people living their suburban lifestyle dreams would no longer be bothered or financially hurt by having low-income housing built in their neighborhoods, adding that home prices would go up based on the market and crime would decline. These comments sparked an outcry as many claimed it was blatantly racist. Some of the people to sound off included Julian Castro, HUD secretary under Obama from 2014 through 2017, who said the former president's tweets were a naked ploy to drum up racial fears. While housing policy finance advisor and former president and CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association and former commissioner of the Federal Housing Administration, David Stevens said in the time of Black Lives Matter, the comments were a stark reminder that ignorance remains strong about the nation's history of discrimination in housing. Lydia, that was a lot to say, but what I want to know is, when you first heard about the new provisions, what were your initial thoughts? Also, what did the Trump administration's stance on these rules tell you about how fair housing is viewed in America today? Well, thank you so much. And, you know, when it comes to discrimination, the National Association of Real Estate Brokers stands strong in that stance. You know, we serve the unserved and underserved. You know, so as we discuss the Trump administration and the stance on fair housing, it's only fair to explore how the housing industry itself and how to address such a topic. You know, I'm not sure you know, but the housing agencies, just like HUD, 
they also bear with the fair housing share of blame. It's the blame thing as it comes to housing discrimination. For example, not too far in the distant past, you know that HUD was responsible for promoting or supporting white-only neighborhoods, which later, which later in life, led to the creation and practice of known as what we call redlining. You know, in 1933, just a little bit of history, when faced with a housing shortage, the federal government, they began a program intended to increase and segregate America's housing stock. And during that time, you know, we know that numerous FAJ, I'd say the publications, implied that different races should not share in neighborhoods and repeatedly listed neighborhoods characteristics such like the inharmonious racial or nationality groups. So when it comes to housing discrimination, again, NARAD, we take a huge stance on that. Even our State of Housing in Black America report, we talk about race. We talk about the access to capital. We talk about the, 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 the scoring system. We talk about the race and how it fits into our own communities that we live and work in. So we take this, we take this entire issue very serious. Mm -hmm. So as we discuss, this this brings me to my next question, which is perfect. How have these practices like redlining impacted minority home ownership? What's the legacy there? When it comes to redlining, and you know, again, I said we're advocates for fair housing. We're advocates for democracy and housing. But when it comes to the redlining, you know, we like to think that redlining and predatory lending no longer is prominent. That's what we're thinking, and some of Americans do think that. But recently, there have been several companies accused of this practice. For example, in October of last year, of 2020, the National Fair Housing Alliance and nine other housing organizations, they filed a lawsuit against Redfin, you know, accusing the online brokerage of racial discrimination, favoritism, and definitely towards the predominantly white neighborhoods. And they're not the only one. July of last year, we talk about other companies such as Townstone Financial, a Chicago-based non-bank retail mortgage lender. We sued, well, actually that was sued by the Consumer, Fitech, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau for violating the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, which you know, each and every one of us, we've learned that act within our organization, within the real estate industry. That's a very important act. And the regulation B by basically engaging this company engaged in discrimination and mortgage lending practices that also constituted violations of the Fair Consumer Financial Protection Act. So these are things that we look at. And notably in 2014, the state of New York also filed a lawsuit against Evans Bank. You know, within this bank, the bank, let me tell you what the bank did. They systematically denied its mortgages and service to Black folks, to African-Americans in the Buffalo metro area. While these are just a few examples of housing discrimination, we can infer these companies not alone insisting their practices. So just the three companies alone, I'm sure there are more that are forthcoming that have not been identified. So how can minority homeowners recognize and fight these practices and how can lenders ensure they're following the letter and the spirit of the fair housing uh, laws? Well, the first thing that our association would encourage is number one, to read our State of Housing in Black America report. Every year since 2012, our organization has been putting out a report. And this poor report discussed the statistical numbers in regards to housing discrimination. It actually talks about some of the action plans that we as an organization plan to do and go forward. 
So every year, and the one we had that was just last year is a very important report. And we wanna make sure that all of our viewers read that report. And in August of this year, we're gonna also bring out again, our next edition of the housing report. But beginning the month of March, every month, we're gonna have what they call Sheba Bites. It's a bite-sized information on some of the action items that NARAD will be taking within our legislation. So um, this is a question um, I wasn't planning on asking, but this is perfect right now. But I want to know, as NARAB has shared its mission, how, how's the industry reacted to what you guys are doing? So they have embraced us. They understand that as a black organization of 73 years and the fight that we've had since then, you want to talk about NARAB being formulated during the time of the civil rights and World War II. That's when we were formed right within that window when you're talking about the discrimination practices. So the industries have embraced our policies. We're working directly with our legislators to put together action plans so that we can bring down to the grassroots. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we do on the top. It matter what happens right at the bottom with those folks that are actually feeling the pain of discrimination. See, that's very interesting. And this is another question. I listed some of the things you guys are doing, but what else have you done in the past or what are you going to launch to champion minority homeownership? Well, some of the things that we're going to be launching, we're very excited again, is our, is our Shiva Bites. But in regards to the policy and legislation, we're basically, we're working with you know, um, Gregory Meeks in regards to the down payment assistance program. So we are we are supporting him and his efforts because we understand that home ownership and the rate of home ownership starts with down payment assistance. We also are working within our legislations on our LLPAs, our credit, access to credit. We understand that the Vantage score and the scoring system is outdated. So those are some of the pieces of information that we've started so far. We have a list of items, lack of inventory, you know, I can go on and on and on. And man, we'll be talking for hours on some yeah. of the things that we have. When you're talking about fighting for our own protection within our communities, these are just a small piece of the action. But definitely the LLPAs we're working on and their and their and their and their run regarding down payment assistance programs. We support that wholeheartedly. All right. So that's awesome. And as we wrap today, I'd like to end with this is my favorite part of the interview because I feel like we can have a candid conversation and an honest conversation. Um, the same two questions I ask each time. What is your biggest area of concern for minority home ownership? And lastly, we know what NARAB is doing, but what else can the industry do today to address the gap? So my I would say my biggest area of concern would be credit. You know, credit, when I, when I would teach credit classes, I would talk about you're no longer a person, you're a score. And that's how we're rated. You know, the African-American community, you know, we've been deprived of a lot of products and services because of our credit score. And the credit scoring model has to change. It's an old system. It wasn't a system that was built for Blacks. It was not a system built for us. So it's time we change the system we adjust the scoring models. We get our black folks at home. So credit barriers to me is my biggest, biggest concern. All right. And yeah. then what could we do today to address the gap? You guys are already doing a lot of NARAB, but what can other parts of the industry do? You know, the other industry parts can join with us. We want them to join us in our fight for changing that wealth gap. And we do that through our state of housing in Black America. We want all of those industry participants out there to fight and work with us. Look on our website, join with us in that fight. Look at our Sheba report, work with us because if we, if we can do it, you can do it, but it's gonna take an army to fight this battle. And we need your help in that area, especially when it comes to credit. 
All right. And with that, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today and providing us with this insightful information. You have me fired up too. So I'm so excited. (laughs) Thank you. You are so welcome. Of course. Guests, join us next Wednesday for some more Honest Conversations. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Elsina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. That's a wrap for today's episode of Housing Wire Daily. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, and join us again tomorrow.